Welcome to Manager Tools. Mistakes we've made, part one. Hey folks, make sure you stay tuned to the end of the cast. We have a special recognition we'd like to make. Mike, tell them why we're making special recognition because this is our 14th anniversary cast. That's a good point. We've been providing 14 years for Manager Tools, 10 and a half years for Career Tools. That's amazing. Let me, uh, let me pull my shoulder back in the socket after I'm done <laughs> patting myself on the back. <laughs> and our recognition is going to be we're this year, over the course of the next year, we're going to be recognizing our longtime licensees, the people who have been with us from the beginning. And for those you don't know, the licensees is what funds the podcast, by the way. Yeah. All the money we make from licenses is what we use to fund what we do for free. So Yeah. We know that there are people who can't afford the podcast. They can't afford a book, and yet they're managers. And we want them to learn and to be good managers because it's an important part of society to help organizations serve society better. But we also know that a lot of you can't afford to become licensees, and we encourage you to do it. It's only 200 bucks a year, and the value proposition is significant when you think about it gives you over 100 podcasts a year, show notes, so you don't have to listen to our voices ever again. You can, instead of taking 25, 30 minutes to listen to a cast, you can read it in about five minutes. So we encourage you to become a licensee. Good. So stay tuned, folks. Okay. So more, more uh, what we're going to cover today. This cast answers these questions. What mistakes has Manager Tools made? Oh, my. We've made mistakes. What? A yeah. Shocker. Shocker. And what guidance would you like to change. Before we start though, Mike, I'm going to take a moment and, and mention our brand new conference, the M conference. It's a complete departure for manager tools. Um, and we did it because we want to help a number of our uh, community who have become managers and are thinking about the next stage of their life, thinking about becoming a director, a senior director, a vice president, and so on. And we know that when you become an executive Learning and development growth is, is a lot more subtle, a lot more varied, a lot more nuanced. And we thought what we would do is do the rough equivalent of a TED Talk, a TED conference in Dallas this year, October 9th and 10th. We're limiting it to only 50 seats. We're going to host a two-day conference, and we're going to have members of the Manager Tools community come and talk about topics that have been important to them in their careers. People like Eldon Schaefer, who's the president of Aptar uh, for Beauty at Home. Mark Granger, who's the global head of talent for Debevoir and Plimpton, a huge New York law firm. Gene uh, Hill, the chairman and managing partner of SV Health Investors, a private equity guy who is a genius. Dan McGuire, who's a managing partner of a consulting firm and also a longtime Wall Street chief technology officer. Lauren Dreyer, who is a uh, aerospace human resources executive, Charlie Chang, who's been leading startups for years in Silicon Valley, Gerhard Gross, who is right now the managing director for Mercedes-Benz in Turkey, and he's moving back to the States in August, and so he's going to be able to come to the conference. He's going to be a VP of operations for Americas. Ananda Panoplan, who is the VP of delivery and digital transformation at Publicis Sapient in London, longtime client, friend, and genius. And John Hoffman, CEO, I think for the fourth time in his career, this time of a company called Pivotal Systems, which went public, I think just about a year ago. 
and Karen Adams, the president and CEO of FundServe. We asked 12. We got 10 yeses within an hour. And I actually had to tell a couple people, I'm sorry that we asked 12 just in case, but 10 people have already said yes. So there's not a slot for you to speak. And we want you to hear from them and also a little bit from us about how to take your career to the next level. So we look forward to seeing you at the M Conference, Dallas, October 9th and 10th. Of course, just like everything else, come to the website and sign up. If you have questions, send me mail, mahorseman at manager-tools.com. We're doing this conference for you. Excellent. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you all there. Okay, so today (laughs) on our anniversary, what what are we nuts? Like we're going to have, we're going to celebrate our, our 14th anniversary, and we're going to talk about our mistakes. That's kind of counterintuitive, don't you think? I got to tell you, dude, I have been thinking about this cast for about the last year. And and the way it happened was I was listening to somebody be interviewed, and they were being asked about mistakes or stumbles or something, and there were simply no mistakes. There were no stumbles. There, And at some point, I gradually realized, like, everybody has warts. And the people that I admire, the people who are so, yeah, yeah, I'm not good at that, or yeah, that was a mistake. Uh, I could have done that better. And I think there's a whole lot of sort of like, I don't know, puffery going on. We're all so worried about you know, everybody thinking we're bulletproof or whatever. And I thought, okay, I've actually regretted some things that have happened over the last 14 years in the podcast. I thought, okay, let's not do what the people I don't like do. Let's do what the people I respect and admire do. And let's let's call a spade a spade. Let's talk about the things that if I could do them over, if I could have a do-over, I take them back. Um, and look, there's a lot to consider here. We've been doing this, like we said at the top show, for 14 years, 10 and a half years of career tools. That's 24 and a half years of weekly guidance. If you assume 50 weeks a year, that's 1,250 weeks of guidance. Okay. If you assume 1,500 uh, words every week, uh, for each of the casts, that's roughly 1,837,000 words about management and professional life. If you assume 50,000 words for a management book, that's 36 books about management and professionalism over the last 14 years. And it's all actionable guidance, although this cast is a rare exception. Um, and there are only a couple of areas that at least in our opinion anyway, we would like to have shaded a bit differently. So, not bad. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you concluded the way you did because I thought as I was doing the math in my head, I thought at the end you were going to say, and so what color are Mark's eyes or something like that? What? <laughs> you know, like six people get on a bus. And oh, yeah. People get on, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. So, what's, what's our outline today? So, we've made three mistakes uh, that, well... Three things I'd like to take back or put differently. If I could do them over, I would. Mistake number one, I hate HR. Mistake number two, engagement, the concept of employee engagement, is stupid. Mistake number three, culture doesn't matter. And the fourth point we're going to make here, folks, you'll notice 
Those are three themes that we've recurred to at various times as an aside in various casts. But our fourth point is, we stand by still every bit of our guidance that we've ever given. And we'll talk about why that is at the end of the show. Good. Okay, <laughs> let's get right to mistake number one. I hate HR. And th this has been one of those themes where uh, th there's a joke, uh, both internally and externally, about Dark Mark. Many of our long-term listeners would go, oh, yeah, that Mar Dark Mark was on that cast. <laughs> and quite frequently, it was a, f a function of when we talked about HR. Yeah. As you, and you said quite clearly, I hate HR. Yeah. If you're a fairly new listener, Dark Mark was the name given by somebody, one of our licensees or listeners, you know, 10, 12 years ago, when I would more frequently than I do today, uh, go on a little side rant about a particular part of corporate life that I thought was demeaning or degrading or debasing or unprofessional or illicit. And everyone knew it was happening, but nobody did anything about it. And I would, it was, wouldn't be in the show notes, but I would say, you know, I'm just sick and tired of people doing X or Y or Z or whatever. And I, I typically didn't do that if I didn't think there was a learning point there. Uh, but Dark Mark was sort of a thing. And actually, when I decided to sort of avoid doing that going forward, because uh, I thought in some cases it might, might be off-putting. I wasn't rude. I just was very direct. Uh, I decided to put it aside. A bunch of people wrote me and said, don't put it aside. It's my favorite part of the show. Finally, I'm not getting watered-down vanilla, you know, pap um, in, in, my, in my podcast. But all that said, one it of the themes- It could be uncomfortable, would, though. <laughs> it could be yeah. One of the themes that came up frequently when I would go on a side rant or a dark mark moment was, I hate HR. Um, you know, I would talk about how HR basically, in the broadest sense, wasn't as helpful to managers as it could be. We often mentioned how HR regularly sided with employees in conflicts between the direct report and the manager. A manager would implement some new system and directs who preferred the status quo or felt threatened would alert HR to this, you know, dictatorial transgression on their rights and privileges as if they had any. Now, to be fair, typically HR has asked for this type of relationship with employees. HR promotes it, especially when employees first start. They say, you can always come to me. And they mean well, they do. In many orgs, HR serves as a kind of ombudsman, uh, which, by the way, is one of my favorite corporate roles, and it's too rare. Every company should have one. It's almost like an IG, an inspector general. Employees are encouraged to approach HR with problems when the employee feels they need help. This is, of course, completely separate from the way it should be done, which is the chain of command and open door, but whatever. Okay. And look, when, when HR says this, and they're a, a back door or an open door or whatever, a place where people come and complain, actioning those situations makes, our, makes our HR feel powerful and important. They accrue to themselves the power of the organization to protect individual employees. And look, there's nothing wrong with wanting to protect employees. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we call individual contributors employees, we start the process, a subtle little shift in thinking that is bad because what people forget is that managers are also employees. 
And typically, let's say you're a frontline manager, typically HR reports to someone at a higher level than you, right? The person who is your HR business partner maybe reports to the VP or is on the VP's staff or is assigned to them, dotted line to them. And they're an HR business partner of somebody much higher level, right, than you, okay? Now, what I'm about to say, this will sound harsher than we mean it, but you oughtn't be claiming to be a partner, a business partner, HR business partner, of all levels of managers in an organization, and then adjudicate complaints that come to you within that organization by wielding the power of your higher level manager, the person you report to, by siding with the individual direct and therefore against the wishes of the complainer's manager, who is also an employee. Basically, that's a perversion of how the organization is supposed to run. Look, an HR professional is absolutely someone to whom a fearful employee can turn. No question about it. But usually only in cases of malfeasance, ethics, fraud, waste, abuse. In those cases, HR is protecting the organization from someone within the organization. I, I would argue that the right solution is if you think your boss is cheating or something and you think that if you go to your boss, he or she will punish you or bury it or something. Well, let me put it differently. If you think you should go, the normal thing, if you find something wrong, that you would go to your boss, unless your boss is going to punish you, and that's certainly a very real possibility, you should still go to your boss and say, hey, I'm concerned about this thing you're doing. And if your boss doesn't give you satisfaction, that's what the open door policy is. You can go to your boss's boss and your boss can't stop you. Okay. Now, if you believe there'll be punishment or retribution, okay, fine, go outside of the chain of command. It's too bad that the company is so poorly managed that people don't realize, and this is a lesson for all managers, if you have a direct come to you and say, I have a concern about X or Y or Z, and we're going to make a distinction here in a minute that's an important one. If they come to you and you say, well, okay, thanks, heard, get it, uh, and we're going to stay the course here. And they say, well, no, I want to appeal this, if you will. I, I don't think they would say appeal. In their head, they probably watch some TV show with cops and judges, and so they think they're appealing. But in fact, they're using the open-door policy, and they can go to your boss. And this is one of the reasons why having a good relationship with your boss is a good thing. But here's the fundamental problem here with the idea that HR is an outlet. The fact is the majority of complaints to HR do not rise to the level of a threat to the ethics of the organization. The vast majority of complaints are about how managers are managing. An employee doesn't like one-on-ones or they don't like feedback. Interestingly, complaints about the manager tools feedback model have risen lately because the popular and stupid guidance about feedback involving a dialogue with the direct to let them feel their voice has been heard has been heard by people and think, oh, I'm supposed to be able to have a chat with my boss every time I make a mistake and he or she is supposed to hear my point of view. So if you're following our guidance, that's not what we recommend. And young people will be more sensitized to that and might might accuse you of attacking them and harassing them. We had a case where uh, somebody wrote in and said, I don't, I don't know what to do. I was briefing everyone on the, I'd done one-on-ones for three months and I was in rolling out the feedback model and I was explaining to everybody about feedback. And one of my staff in the middle of the meeting 
stood up and said, well, this won't work for me. You know, I expect to sit down and have a dialogue with me. I don't, I don't need to hear this and walked out. Like, what do I do? (laughs) This is usually where the dark mark would have. Exit visas are imminent, as they say. So look, when an employee comes to HR with a disagreement about management or, you know, a complaint, again, it's not an ethical fraud, waste, abuse, malfeasance problem in the company, theft, those kind of things. HR ought to be starting with the assumption that what the manager is asking for is reasonable and appropriate. The fact that you even listen to the complaint means you think that what the employee says is reasonable and appropriate. Why then, and and by the way, don't expect them to be telling you the good part of one-on-ones or feedback or or any other thing for that matter. This is not limited to manager tools guidance. I don't want anybody getting the impression that if this is the first cast you're ever listening to, that when you start doing one-on-ones and feedback, all your folks are going to go run complaint to HR. HR ought not to be approaching these more operational management disagreement as an opportunity to support the direct. But believe me, when you're in HR, I've talked to many of them. They feel powerful when they have the authority to speak for the company and to protect the direct. And, And that causes them to protect the direct more often than they should. But managers are given wide latitude by most companies because most companies don't insist on a standard way of managing. And by the way, we disagree with that, but that's neither here nor there. HR is on pretty weak ground to insist that a manager stop doing something simply because one direct disagrees. When HR is not more broadly reinforcing or enforcing some other standard of management. Now, look, I know you're probably wondering, wait, where's the mistake? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I probably should have started with the mistake in the beginning. We'll get to that. Uh, Look, this is only one example of our disagreement with HR. We have many others, as much as we love HR, but listen, them all would only, right, it'd just be worse. And I don't want this to be a bait and switch. Okay. Our mistake here, my mistake here, was painting HR with too broad a brush. We were thinking about the gap between how HR often behaves against the manager versus how it should behave supporting the manager within reason. Because so many managers have experienced this, we at Manager Tools, thinking thinking of ourselves as being on the side of managers, basically threw HR under the bus. And we shouldn't have. A better approach, and the one we now follow, is to apologize for it periodically when touching on HR topics. We often follow that up with, we don't hate HR. That was wrong, stupid, bad. We hate bad HR. And folks, there's a lot of bad HR. On the other hand, we also now try to highlight plenty of good HR, some of which will be at the, uh, we'll have two HR executives at the M conference in October of this year. And there's also plenty of good HR as well. And, you know, on another note, just in terms of the, the vibe of manager tools, who needs somebody else talking about what they hate? I don't understand the idea that we can, oh, I hate this and I hate that. And then I hate people who are haters. I'm like, how does that work? I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't understand that, right? 
Hate ought to be reserved for evil empires and tyrants and moral turpitude. Now, this is this is a podcast and a little bit of drama probably helps. I don't think you want me to be reading 13th century management texts to you. But we also know at Manager Tools that we can make our tips, our guidance, our recommendations be fully compelling without resorting to the histrionics, puffery, and clickbait that so many others do. So, to all the HR professionals who were turned off, we're sorry. I got carried away. If you choose not to engage us for your organizational work, because of that, we understand. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know that's ever been true, but that's okay. We respect that. Cool. We don't hate HR anymore. Yeah. Matter of fact, uh, there's a lot of a lot of HR we love, as witnessed by the fact that we have two of our speakers coming. Yes. And nobody, none of our speakers at the M conference aren't are people that we don't absolutely love and adore and respect and yeah. have the highest esteem for. Pretty incredible people. If you if you come, you'll find out. When we deliver on-site training for client organizations, particularly when their numbers warrant two or three sessions, we're often asked if they should break the groups up by rank structure, meaning all the junior managers together, and then the more senior managers group separately. And while clients always rule at manager tools, we are quick to recommend working with a mix of managerial ranks for several reasons. First, it sends a clear message to junior managers that everyone, no matter how seasoned, can learn something new. And two, it's good to see everyone practicing and quite frankly, stumbling with the manager tools models in the beginning. Egos are left at the door. Ironically, even when we have client sponsors who've adopted our guidance since the beginning, they always say the day was useful to hone their skills and often leads to a restart of their manager tools models. This goes for our public conference attendees too. No matter what the title, we all have things to learn. For more information about our training, go to www.manager-tools.com forward slash training. Okay, next one. When you read it, this at the intro on, on the outline of what we're going to cover, even the phrase that we said, you know, engagement is stupid, sounds kind of stupid. Yeah. Now, hopefully, you'll explain why we said it, what we meant. I, yeah, I think, but uh, that's mistake number two saying engagement is stupid. Well, one of the things that I feel better about, I'm going to spend a good bit of time on this because it's worthy of some elucidation, education, and so on, is that. We try to make all of our podcasts timeless and timely. So I worry about 15 years from now that everything we're saying will be useful to people. But 15 years from now, the people starting in companies won't be talking about engagement at all. It'll just be another management fad that goes away. That said, we shouldn't have said engagement is stupid because it was confusing to a lot of people. It's not the term engagement that it's stupid. It's the meaning people have attached to it yes. at this point in time, right? Yeah. I mean, employee engagement is really popular right now. Companies are measuring engagement all over the place. Managers are being evaluated by their engagement scores. And we'll just tell you something, folks. If you're being evaluated by anything other than results, or if there aren't results on the plate, that's a problem. And you should look for opportunities to find a place where they're clear about what the results are. Now, some people will say, oh, no, 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 manager's results are engagement. And I would argue, no, because if all the manager's results are supposed to be just engagement, then all you need is high engagement scores and you can stay in business. Well, if you're highly engaged and unprofitable, you won't be in business for long. Hey, but we were engaged the entire way down. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Exactly. 
So from the beginning, when this first started getting traction in the corporate world as a management trend, fad, theme, whatever, we've been dismissive of engagement as a valuable tool, and we regret that. And the reason we regret it is if you as a manager are having to deal with a trend, something that your company is thinking about talking about and so on, it would have been more helpful for us to to address it more directly than to simply dismiss it. It would have been better for us to share guidance for how to be effective as a manager, as an executive, as a professional in an organization that gets behind the idea of engagement. Look, obviously, the classic example is if you want your employees to get more engaged, do one-on-ones, give them feedback, coach them, and delegate to them. Um, That's the right answer. But as you'll see, that may not be the solution to the problem that engagement creates for most managers. Okay, I want to go up to 30,000 feet a little bit and explain why engagement, in our opinion, is a bad idea, even though at the same time, I regret having poo-pooed it so many times because we should have talked more about what to do and how to do it. So uh, engagement came to be, it's actually been talked about for a long, long time, but it got popular lately based on the popular management book, First Break All the Rules. It was a really important book. It's a good book. It provided tons of data from over 60,000 at the time. And now I think Gallup has millions of managers uh, data included. And basically they showed that organizations whose employees were more engaged did a lot better than orgs whose people weren't engaged. Now, look, I don't think there's any question that the idea of a more engage of more engaged employees leading to better results is a fairly anodyne one. No one's going to argue with that, right? And we strongly agree with much of what's in the book. I think they've become a little too faddish lately, but the book makes a lot of strong points like managerial behaviors matter and almost no one's been saying that other than us for years and years and years. Hiring matters. You ought to manage based on strengths, which Peter Drucker said 50 plus years ago. And also to manage individuals, not manage the group a person is in, like women or people of color or or millennials, for instance. But one of the things that made rules, um, the book, powerful was that it connected individual experiences in the workplace with corporate results. First break all the rules says, if you can get your employees engaged, you will have better results. That's really rare for a couple of reasons that factor into our concerns. Look, we've said it before, we'll say it again. Almost all management books are basically marketing efforts aimed at organizational people, VPs of HR, CEOs, EVPs with enormous budgets. If you read a management book, other than some of the fables that are popular, and then some of the good ones like Pat Lencioni's, for instance, other than those, if it's a popular management book, they tell a lot of interesting stories, and you're left on Monday with the Chinese food theory, which is you're still hungry, um, you know, an hour after you eat, you're hungry again, because 
you read the book, the stories are great, you get excited about the ideas, but you don't know what to do. And the reason why is because it doesn't that book doesn't tell you what you should be doing as an individual manager. Even books that say this is what managers should do, they then describe how you should be. And they're not specific, they're not actionable, they're not making recommendations, they're making suggestions. Okay. But they're done so because the book is a marketing effort trying to get corporate business. Okay. They're trying to win corporate clients to implement their recommendations. And the reason they're doing that is because that's where the money is. Um, Mike and I joke, we took a vow of poverty to focus on the individual manager. Of course, we believe that if the company says, okay, we're all behind engagement, guess whose behavior has to change? The managers. We just sort of cut out the middleman when we do our podcast. What's important about all that? is that when a recommendation is adopted by several organizations, and it certainly has, engagement has swept across the landscape in the last 10 years, there's a much greater likelihood that that theme, that trend, will become potentially part of the ongoing sort of sedimentary processes that affect lots of people's, lots of managers' lives day to day. And look, guys, if you haven't figured it out yet, organizational leaders HR, management development people are much more likely to recommend something that's popular to executives who have read about it, who have heard about it in the business press. They're much more likely to recommend stuff that the executive has heard about. Some of that is loss aversion, right? But regardless, it means you, the manager, are more likely to be affected by it. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second factor is that, uh, first break all the rules, made a case for individual activity having an effect on corporate results. And nobody seems to talk about it very much, but that's important for management development. Think about other management trends that you may have heard of. Management by objective, quality circles, total quality management, TQM, dimming, right? The quality movement, re-engineering, empowerment, workout, Six Sigma, supply change management, black belt, all that stuff, right? All of them are about organizational results and they achieve it by measuring organizational results, but not engagement. Engagement says you can get organizational results by measuring individual managers. That's interesting. Okay, what's wrong with it? Why are we not fans? Two classic errors that probably are of interest only to me, but they're really of interest to me, (laughs) and I'm the one that writes the shows. The two errors are circular definition and teaching the test. When it comes to circular definition, engagement, for those of you who don't know, is not an agreed upon metric, okay? You can find plenty of scholarly articles saying it's impossible to define, that there are no scientific definitions. Guys, you can call your company engagement and measure anything you want. Number of emails sent. Yeah, I mean... I know that's ludicrous, but only slightly less ludicrous than, or only slightly more ludicrous than what we're doing now. I mean, even if you talk about personality, most people talk about people's personality all the time without realizing that there's actually a well-defined definition and measurement for personality in the psychology and psychotherapy space. If you talk about DISC, our behavioral instrument, as a psychological instrument, any scientist in the the 
the human behavior, human psyche space will say, no, that's not psychology. That's not personality. Personality is a thing. It's measured by the multi, the big five, the Minnesota multiphasic, the introversion, extroversion, so on. And you can't compare apples and oranges. Okay. So, I mean, personality is more understood, more agreed upon in the scientific community than engagement. And look, guys, we admire Gallup in a lot of ways. We love their focus on data. We love their belief that managers are important. But we're going to say something that probably isn't very popular. Gallup made up the concept of employee engagement in its present form in order to capture or title the behaviors it found in its groundbreaking study. Now, look. To some degree, that's not a bad thing. It really isn't. They wouldn't have gotten very far if when they did all this research and they came up with these 12 questions. By the way, if you don't know, engagement is in its earliest form, it's since morphed into other things, was your score on a series of 12 questions, which they have teased out of data based on thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of interviews with managers, which is good. But they're not going to say to you, okay, take this test. <laughs> they have to call it something. They needed a name. And I think they've chosen a good one, engagement. Okay? And let's go further. They call it the Q12, by the way, the 12 questions that they've determined are the most likely to predict how much they would say your employees are engaged. We think that if you get a high score on the, the Q12, there's a good chance that your direct would consider them or another person, even us, would say, yeah, they're engaged. Full disclosure, guys, we think we'd prefer working for a manager who gets higher engagement scores compared to lower scores, all things being equal. Okay? Although I would also say I wouldn't necessarily choose a higher engagement score manager to someone with no engagement score at all because of some of the concerns we have about the trend. But, but here's the point. Engagement isn't a measurable thing like inches or profit or productivity or GDP or EBITDA. It's used often enough to feel similar to those things, but it isn't because, again, there's no agreed-upon standard for engagement. If Gallup comes to your company and consults and you do the Q12 and so on, you will get Gallup's engagement score based on their research of a bunch of managers, and they've decided to call it engagement. But don't confuse engagement with some widely accepted personality or psychological or organizational principle. There's none. It's marketing. And, you know, God bless them. Good marketing. There's no agreed-upon standard. Gallup found some characteristics that they associated with high organizational performance, and they started asking questions about it. Then they refined those questions into the most predictive ones. Then they said that your score on their test for their idea is how much engagement they say you have. That's really circular logic. It's not wrong. It's just not right. If you get a score of 7.5, I'm making this up, out of 10. Again, I'm making that up. And I'm talking, you get a score, your engagement score is 7.5, and your boss says if your engagement score across all your directs is above 7, you get a $100 bonus. I'm making that up as well. 
And you talk to a buddy, he says, wow, I didn't get a bonus. My engagement score was 14. You'd say, uh, I mean, 14? Or maybe he says it's 9.8. You're like, 9.8? You've got the most engaged team ever. I've been working at this for two years. I can only get a score of 7.5. Well, what he doesn't tell you is different company, different survey, different metric. The highest score you can get is 15. And you're comparing apples and oranges, but not even really apples and oranges, more like fruits and cars or something. I don't know. And look, this circular logic problem carries over to its effect on managers. Because engagement is so popular, it's a management trend. So lots of firms are doing engagement surveys. And so you end up with, you can't compare engagement scores across organizations. And I doubt seriously that companies are spending hours explaining to managers what their engagement score is supposed to mean and how it was derived and so on. And that leads to the second part of this, which really bugs me. Teaching the test. If an engagement is whatever any test that tests for engagement says it is, and this is important, then the best way to get engagement is to engage in behaviors that are tested by the test. I love that sentence. Going back to our earlier comments about measures, you can't just do inches. You can't do profit. You can't do productivity. You can't do GDP. They are results, okay? You can't do EBITDA. That's why they're widely accepted measures that are compared across industries and about across companies as comparative measures. Right, but you can do engagement as it's currently defined. Well, actually, no. What Gallup doesn't really say you can do engagement, but that's essentially what it is because the test says things like, you know, I've been thanked recently for my work. Okay, well, if you want to max out on the score, just go around thanking your people. And by the way, I'm not saying that thanking your people is a bad thing. But the idea that thanking your people could be one of the 12 questions, and all you have to do is start thanking your people more, or I uh, feel clear about you know what my career guidance is. Well, okay, once a month, and you're one-on-one. Oh, you don't have to have a one-on-one to have an engagement score. Sit down with your folks and say, hey, how are you feeling? Where, where, are you, where are you headed? So on. Okay? It just seems misleading to recommend someone try to achieve a high engagement score in order to improve organizational results. And then say, engagement is what our test says, because there's no accepted definition of engagement. And then know, know that the best way to achieve high engagement is to literally do the actions tested by the test. Right. Well, that's a problem of this indirect chain, right? Which is, I mean, you and I both believe that engagement is great and that, you know, more engagement will lead to better effectiveness and more profitability yeah, in at a high level, right? But the problem is it's not again, it's it's removed from the end objective which is profitability or It's a proxy of a proxy. Right, it's proxy of a proxy. And then you have a bo- then you have a basket of proxies to de- to define the proxy, right? It just becomes ludicrous at some point. Yeah, I mean folks, your company it does not exist to make a profit. It has to make a profit in order to stay in business. Profit is basically the cost of future operations that you build into your uh, into your revenue and cost models, okay? Your company does not exist to make profit. Profit is not the goal. 
Profit is a result that we measure because we can measure it and we do need some cash for future operations. The purpose of your organization is to serve society, to make the world a better place. It's part of the human condition. We simply happen to measure profit because it is measurable and comparable and so on. Profit is a proxy. What engagement says is, uh, hey, look, managers, you, you should, you know, what, what you need to do is do engagement. If you have high engagement scores, you'll have more profit, more result. We would argue that's a mistake for managers. We think organizations should tell managers what their results, their operational results, not their engagement results, not their HR results, not their relationship results. No, simply their results. So if I'm an IT, I should be doing X and Y and Z. And it's the organization's responsibility up and down the chain, most companies do it poorly, to say, okay, we're going to shoot for X this year, and that means this for you, and this for you, and this for you, and we get all the way down here. Here are the five things I'm going to measure you on to make sure we get those things done. Now, what tends to happen is those things tend to be operational measurements to the lowest level, and no one ever says, but hey, it's entirely possible to have a whole bunch of managers who focus so solely on the numbers, they don't realize that we have to have the employees keep coming back. And so engagement might be a nice adjunct to that. I, in theory, I, I, we want more engaged managers, but unfortunately, it's a proxy of a proxy, and we ought not to be measuring managers on engagement. We ought to be measuring them on results. Look, if you want your people engaged, the old-fashioned way. Earn it. Get to know them. Spend time with them. Do one-on-ones. Give them feedback. Coach them. Delegate to them. We can't say your organization is going to improve, but if you read between the lines, neither can Gallup. <laughs> and all this said, guys, this little history lesson about management trends and proxies and so on, we still regret our negativity towards engagement. More engagement is good. We know many of you are having to deal with it. And we promise you by the end of 2019, we'll have a cast out. I could probably write it in my head right now. Um, I don't like the idea of doing a cast off the cuff, but I might be able to do that one. How to help you get high engagement scores. Although I'm probably not going to go so far as to say without gaming the system or teaching, you know, going after the test. Thanks, everyone. That's it for this week. We'll finish this one up in the following week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long. 